How an embryo develops into a fetus is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Or rather, an embryo wrapped in an amniotic sac inside a womb. Research on human embryos is highly controversial and in many countries either banned or limited to 14 days after conception. But what if there was a different way to find out what happens as an embryo develops from the one cell to a fetus with fully functioning organs? Dr. Jacob Hanna from the Wiseman Institute in Israel is this month's guest in Biotech Podden to talk about embryo models, what they can be used for, and the ethical questions regarding the use of these models. Thank you for being here, Jacob. Thanks for having me. And I also have my colleague, Dr. Stina Indralid, with me to explain a bit more about the basic biology involved. Nice to be here. You are listening to Biotech Podden, a podcast from the Norwegian Biotechnology Advisory Board. My name is Mette Risa. One of the main goals of the Norwegian Biotechnology Advisory Board is to inform the general public about advances in biotechnology and the ethical implications the use of biotechnology might have. This episode of Biotech Podden is produced in cooperation with the Nordic Committee on Bioethics and Norforsk. So I have to start with you, Stina. There is some basic biology we need to understand here. How do we go from one cell to sitting here? Mm. The cells in your body are all specialized to do the job that your body needs them to do. And the cells of your spine differ from the ones in your eyes. So the cells that make up your skin are different from the ones in your lungs. And even within an organ, like your heart, there's different types of cells. But all of these different types of cells have an origin. The fertilized egg. The embryo. The embryo begins dividing after conception and as One original cell becomes two, then four, then eight, then 16. The cells also begin to change. And this is when the small lump of cells divide into uh, four distinct layers. The cells that become the fetus, the cells that become the yolk sac, the cells that become the placenta and tissues needed for the implantation in the womb and the gestational sac. So later the cells in the embryo will develop into the different organs such as the lung, brain and vascular system. And it is this part after this stage um, that this Churchill quote that I initially used, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma or rather an embryo wrapped in an amniotic sac inside a womb. That's the stage we don't know much about. So how can we find out how these cells developed into a fetus and or why around half of all embryos do not develop or result in miscarriage? And how can we learn how the different organs develop inside the womb? One of the ways that the scientists hope to find out more is by using what is called embryo models that re- represent different stages of embryo development. But these models are so new that most countries have no rules about research on them. And if the goal is to get them as similar to real embryos as possible, at what stage should we treat them as embryos? This has been the subject of a symposium organised by the Nordic Committee on Bioethics in cooperation with Norforsk and the Icelandic University in September 2023. At this symposium, one of the world's leading experts on advanced embryo models, Dr. Jacob Hanna, from the Department of Molecular Genetics at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, shared his latest research. And Jacob Hanna is also here with me in Biotech to talk about embryo models and the ethical issues around this research. 
And to begin with, Jacob, can you explain what an embryo model is? It's actually a tough question because it's not fully agreed upon by by scientists. But let's just say that we are trying to take stem cells that our cells can be derived from early embryos uh, that been growing for years in dishes, or we can take an adult cell and revert it back to a stem cell. So technology has been developed 20 years ago. These are called uh, uh, induced stem cells. So these are the sources of embryonic stem cells we have. They are similar. And then the embryo model is basically they're trying to take these stem cells that are grown in the dish, coax them into different tissues, such as perhaps a placenta or a yolk sac or an embryo. And then once we make these aggregate, it starts to get some conformation and some structures that resembles an embryo. So it's not identical to an embryo. And that's why we, at the moment, we call them embryo models. And to give the listeners a better idea of what you're actually talking about, what does it look like? So, it, it of course, it depends on the embryo models that we're talking about because the embryos have different uh, morphology and quality at different stages of development. Therefore, every embryo model, you need to ask the embryo model for what stage, just first of all. Um, and as you mentioned, we're trying to understand really early human development because a, a mouse is not a human, a monkey is not a human, and a human embryo makes all of its organs within the first six weeks of development. So it happens very fast. And this window, it's basically almost technically and ethically impossible to study. It's very early in pregnancy. Actually, often women don't know they're pregnant at these stages. Um, uh, um, we cannot get samples for justified ethical reasons. And on the other hand, we our knowledge is very, very limited. It's based on samples that are, you know, rare occasion where you have some uh, pregnancy loss and somehow an, an embryo is, is retrieved and sectioned. There are some atlases from the 60s, but this is very limited knowledge. Um, and that's, as you said, you know, when we say black box, it's not a cliche in this, in this case. Um, and therefore, an embryo model, when we try to make, for example, um, in our case, when we take the stem cells um, and aggregate them and we say that we reach day 14 in human development, so they are very similar to what an, an embryo looks in day 14, which is less than one millimeter in size. And if you look under the microscope to really see the structure, you will see the what is going to be the placenta surrounding the structure. So it's like a floating ball of, of cells. And inside of it, we will have kind of two floating uh, balls. One, one is the yolk sac and one is the embryo with the amnion and so th- that are actually surrounded by the earlier uh, cells that are trophoblast. So it's, it's just basically a very small structure but it's very very organized and, um, and when we look also not only does it have the compartments that the embryo at that stage we know it has, it's also organized correctly in, 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 in orientation one compartment to the others. So this is just one example of we're, we're talking a day 14 equivalent embryo models. If we talk about day seven, these are called actually blastoids uh, because they're trying to be similar to the blastocyst. The blastocyst is a 64-cell stage, and that is actually a really, really much smaller structure. Uh, but then you have the, it's much more round. It has a cavity. It's like it's called the, uh, a blastocyst cavity. And the cells are just 
sitting on top like as a, in a kind of a crescent half moon shaped above that cavity. So I just gave you two examples of, of models uh, that, that uh, resemble in terms of the cells, morphology, also when we start staining to look at you know, gene patterns, uh, the, what we know about the equivalent uh, in, in human early embryo development. And I'd like to also note here that we're going to link to one of your videos on the description of this podcast. So if anyone wants to actually see what it looks like, um, they can watch it in the description. But remember, it's less than one millimeter? Yes, at this stage. So you can't actually see it unless you use a microscope? Uh, I mean, you you see, uh, okay, <laughs> because we can make a lot of them. It's like floating little white dots in a way. Let's go this way. And why do scientists like yourself make these embryo models? So because, as I mentioned, um, the the first six weeks uh, are the pe- is the period when all um, organs are made. So we want to really understand in like you know real movie kind of thing. You know how is it working? Where are the cells migrating? Which cells? When does a uh, fold? How do they go on top of each other? And when does the organ really form? We really don't have that knowledge, and even much more basic knowledge, we don't have it. And uh, the reason also we w- we want to understand it because. As I mentioned, we're starting with stem cells. Stem cells have the ability to become different cells and organs. Um, and I told you some stem cells are, can be made from any adult donor, from his, his or her skin cells, meaning we can now perhaps make one day uh, cells and organs that are genetically identical to the patient and transplant them back to the patient. However, these protocols of differentiations haven't been working because we don't understand how does an embryo makes its organ? I mean, we need to imitate the embryo, but in the case in the human, we don't know what we want to imitate. So if we want to know this period, how does organogenesis happens, what, which genes are important for which organs. And second, this period, most of pregnancy losses happen during this period. Most of developmental malformations also happen during this period, often they're detected later, um, but they happen in this period. Um, uh, a famous developmental biologist, Lewis Wolpert, has a famous quote when he says, um, this period uh, um, really is the most important day in your life is not when you're born or when you marry or when you die, but it's actually when you gastrulate, which means you start making your organs. Because if you don't do that properly, unfortunately, then you're going to have developmental defects. Uh, in other cases, we're trying just to make a drug testing, for example. Um, it today is very hard to, it's impossible actually, if there's a new drug, you can't give it to pregnant women because it's unknown if it's going to cause malformations to the embryo and you just no drug testing on pregnant parent, women and allowed. So let's just imagine a little bit and then maybe if we have these embryo models and we can add the drug in the test tube and see does it hurt embryo development by because we do know the basic features overall. Uh, it, um, it may be 90% similar okay, but still we can see that okay, this drug did not affect versus other drugs we know really distorted the embryo. And then maybe then the FDA maybe will allow to say okay, it's passed that test now you can test it on a very small number of women and because science is often like that it's just step after step and this is just one one, one example of, of looking at it so you mentioned this reprogramming of cells and you can reprogram them to go from specialized cells back to stem cells but yes. it's the other way that's diff- difficult exactly so if you just to um 
point uh, really to that embryonic stem cells, um, as I mentioned today, which is surprising, probably 20 years ago, nobody would have predicted that, is <laughs> actually very easy to derive them. As I mentioned, due to Yaman, the famous scientist Yamanaka, is a Nobel laureate, that he found a way, it's basically erasure of the identity of any adult cell and that it goes back to the uh, plur- uh, to the embryonic cells. It's like on a computer just hitting the reset button, okay? Uh, but stem cells, um, you know, if you just put them inside the tissue, uh, you know, this notion that they're going to learn from their neighbors and become like them just doesn't work. Uh, and you have to, it's actually if you inject uh, embryonic stem cells, uh, it's, it, they will, it's dangerous. They will make a benign tumor that's just a mishmash of muscle, bone, hair, or so forth. So it's not something, that's not the way to treat. In order to treat, we must learn how to move forward again. So we went backwards to a stem cell state. Now we have to move forward to the desired cell type or organ that we want to transplant. And we must um, transplant authentic, mature cells with great purity to really achieve the function with, with safety. And that has proven quite a difficult task to do it in the dish. Um, because as a, we don't know, in the case of humans, all the genes and the growth factors that are involved. We don't know which neighboring cells they need. Um, we don't know what kind of elasticity and the mechanical forces they need. And we need to understand, to take to know the parameters that are in the embryo, because the embryo is the best organ-making entity. That's, that is an embryo. Um, and take these parameters and apply them and uh, improve or, uh, or really make our current differentiation protocol in a plastic dish much, much better by, by improving it and by trying to imitate what happens in the embryo. But I mentioned again, the case of the embryo, we have limited access to this window. Um, uh, we, we do not have enough embryos. We, for this, you need hundreds of samples, and samples uh, uh, of early uh, development in the case of humans, which is, of, of course, it's impossible and we should never <laughs> try to get, uh, to get this. Therefore, the embryo this, models... Then you're talking about using real embryos. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, um, and, and, and that's why the embryo models are emerging as a way to create an alternative and bypass this dilemma, which is ethical and technical, and try make, so, you know, if you think about it, we took embryos, we made we made from them stem cells. Now, in a way, we're trying to do the other way around, take stem cells and try to assemble from them something that looks like an embryo. And the notion that even if it's not perfect, uh, and even if it's only partial, maybe there are still some compartments and some interactions that uh, will be useful and, and robust and reproducible to mimic some of the events happen there. And you've previously done some research on mice as well with this mechanical incubator that you have. Why is not research on mouse sufficient uh, to do this? So, I mean, you're right. I mean, we, this, is, this recent discoveries in humans, uh, they started with a multiple-step papers from our group on how to grow first natural embryos, take them out of uterus and then grow them in a, in a special incubator. And then we learn which to do this from stem cells uh, in, of the mouse and show that it works. Typically in this field, always everything started with the mouse <laughs> because it's very characterized. It's shorter 
gestation period and you can say, okay, if it works with a mouse, at least it doesn't guarantee it's going to work with the humans, but it's a good, you know, um, good, at least, you know, I can convince a student to work on this and spend five years because it's much more reassuring to know that it works with mice. Um, and of course, mouse development is very different from, from the human and, and particularly after, uh, so until the blastocyst stage, I would say they're very similar, of course, not identical, but after the 64 cell stage, it's really a completely different game. Uh, the human uh, early embryo implants all the way in inside the uterine wall. It's not superficial implantation. The shape of the embryo, for example, the mouse and the rat embryo, um, they kind of look like an egg shape versus in in in, in Almost all other mammalians, including human and, and non-human primate, it takes the shape of a flat, what's called a flat disc, basically. Um, and then you have other cell types that are there um, um, uh, uh, that don't exist in the mouse. You have uh, other membranes that appear much, much earlier, such as like the amnion, amnion roof. The placenta looks very different. Um, so it's really... Um, it's it's very different uh, already. Even as early as these kind of stages, the differences are very striking, uh, and therefore, when you change, even the, the architecture looks very different. And obviously, in the end, if you want to think of this like you have this building and different centers that are secreting things towards each other, um, so it's a different building, uh, and therefore, we need to understand the biology and different molecules and different rules and different dimensions. So it's very very um, uh, different. And your your latest research was on on human embryo models. Yes. And what what did you discover there? You grew this these for so fourteen days. Fourteen. So yes. Yeah. Uh, so the protocol we there we um, take stem cells uh, uh, that human from human origin, um, and then we do first we grow them in special media. Um, what we call to make them naive stem cells. Naive stem cells meaning that really they correspond to the earliest stages in development. Even in, in, in humans, about actually a 32 cell stage, not for a 64. And by being naive, also they have the potential to make also the extra embryonic membranes, like membranes that surround the embryos, just like the placenta and the yolk sac and the, the embryo sac. Um, and these structures, we understand that they're not only for protecting the embryo, we know that also they dictate differentiation. So they have other roles. And they're very crucial for, for develop, towards development in, of the embryo. And again, we did this first in mice. Um, and, and, and really, we were able to do this from one pool of cells. So we have these naive cells and then basically split them into four pools of cells for about one to two days. Some we nudge to become uh, the placental cells. Some we nudge to become the yolk sac cells. Some we nudge to become the, what's called chorion, meaning embryo sac cells. And we have the stem cells themselves with unperturbed. So we mix these four fractions again put them in special device, special media, that took a lot of time of calibrations. And we really see that in 1% of the cases um, that not only the cells are growing, but actually they're differentiating in the different cell types and they're migrating correctly to where they should be in relation to one another. This process is called sorting. So, so you know, and then they also start making compartments. So you talk about the yolk sac, you will see that the yolk sac cells migrate correctly and make the yolk sac. You will see that, that the, the, the embryo uh, and amnion cells migrate and sit on top of the yolk sac in the right orientation. And then we see that the trophoblast cells are going around all these structures. So it's a really um, uh, uh, 
growth in an, uh, or in, uh, what I call dynamism of the growth. So that it, it, they, they grow, they make the right compartments, and then actually when you start looking at it, the compartments are maturing. For example, trophoblast cells that make the placenta, you will start seeing that they are making little what's called microvilli. It's like little hair cells that is good for exchanging nutrients with the mother. Or they make what's called the lacuna, which are like cavities that usually in normal pregnancy they get filled with blood from the mother. Uh, and the same with, with if you look at the yolk sac, you start seeing actually that the upper layer is thicker than the, the lower layers. And and we know from development after all and, and uh, from from uh, from non-human prize and my monkey, which are similar, that these structures are are critical. So day fourteen, the, the organogenesis, organ formation hasn't started yet. It's going to start on the next day, but we know that this is the you could call it kind of the foundation on the ground layers. These very primitive compartments. Without, if they're not organized correctly, you are never, never going to have organogenesis. Uh, so the fact that we've reached all, all from stem cells only that today uh, 14, which is equivalent to day six in mouse development, um, uh, it's it's very promising that perhaps we can then go for next week, let's say day 21, which is our aim to really start seeing the budding of the early organs. But why didn't you do that this time? To, oh, go beyond because, day fourteen, <laughs> because it's much easier said than done. Uh, it's you know at least <laughs> at least four years on this uh, you know to really calibrate the conditions that you do. It's not just like it's just you know growing and you know as if it just grows by itself. You know we just have to decide when to stop. No, it's fourteen was at the moment the the and we invest a lot of characterization on every day of the process, and uh, and fourteen was the um, a limit that we could get you know, one day longer in these conditions we are using, uh, the embryo stopped being normal, they deteriorated in this case. Um, so, it, and, um, and, and we actually expect that because um, and in the mouse, I told you that day 14 of human is equivalent to day six in the mouse. Now in the mouse embryo models, we have reached eight and a half and there this, we had to change and we had to move from regular plates that 2D and move into some kind of a system which called like a roller model which has like bottle glasses on a wheel and we really electronically com- control the parameters and the gas pressures around it and and of course the the media in which the embryos are like the liquid in which they're swimming and being nurtured by, by is very different so basically it makes sense because we now know if we make draw the analogy to the mouse day 14 is the day we should switch to another growth system, and um, and that is hopefully the next paper when we, we you know it's going to take years, but that's the next paper. So and and we have to and I want to what we've learned. Um, let's put it this way: what's been nice and helpful for us that we've been working, as I mentioned to you, with natural mouse embryos and embryo models from the mouse. We actually also work on the rabbit because the rabbit actually its shape is is very similar to humans in many ways. Uh, and But of course, it has much shorter lifespan. We have flexibility. So that kind of, I would call it trickle or spillover knowledge from one system and one species to the other is teaching us a lot. And we always see that having a good authentic structure for a certain day is a very good investment in the long term because it's going to have potential to grow 
to the next days much more. So it's very important for us to really have, uh, and we are very satisfied with the organization and gene expression of the day 14 um, uh, embryo models we have at the moment. And we think they have, it's going to pay off and that they are going to be able to go more, uh, just like as we've seen over and over again with working with mice and rabbits. I strongly believe in that. But, but if you look back at this project you did with the mice, with this mechanical womb or yes. incubator, if you put human em- or embryo models in there, how long do you think you could grow them? I've, I have no idea. <laughs> what I can say is, um, so as you know, development between mouse and humans, it's, you know, the human development, it's much... Uh, slower. So, you know, when you compare, it's not even, you know, when you say day 14, it sounds like a lot, uh, but in humans, it's not. It's, so it's, it's just different uh, days. So with mouse natural embryos, we are now able to reach day 12 and a half to 13. We haven't published that yet. And with the embryo models of the mouse is only eight and a half so far. So it's less. And as I mentioned, because they have defects, because they are different from natural embryos. Um, and But if I want to take the most optimal scenario, if I can go mouse, day 12 is equivalent to human day 80. Of course, you know, the incubator, I can run it forever. That's not the limit. So the limit is the size of entity we can grow because although we have a placenta-like structure, the nutrition is not, this is not connected to the maternal blood. So the nutrition is coming just from the liquid surrounding it, basically diffusion. And, you know, with diffusion, if you have an entity, the bigger it becomes, the harder for oxygen and nutrients to penetrate deeply inside the entity. So I would say the the limit is actually just the size of the entity. Uh, And if we can reach in mouse one centimeter uh, 1.2 centimeter embryo a day um, uh, a day 12 and a half 13 that is around day 80 82 in 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 human development in stage so at least that is in theory we you know should be able to do contingent many many things and assuming there are no wild cards which we don't know about yet but so at that stage you've reached heartbeat yeah, it's if we reach the eighty, it's yes, it's it's actually completion of organogenesis. So organ formation ends in about it's debatable, like maybe day forty, day forty five in humans. Uh, it's very very small, but it already has all the, the 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 organs, and then it starts being maturation. But in my mind, then it seems very much like it's sort of very close to an embryo. If it has a beating heart, you mean it's a real embryo? If it embry- has the nervous system, so yeah, I mean you're touching exactly what is. What is the what is what should we define an embryo and not only define an embryo which embryo we should be um, still you know justifiably working with and and that's really really changes with different cultures but I want to remind you that we're at this stage we're still talking embryo models and this is not just a kind of a code name to to fool the public as I mentioned to you in the mouse there's a reason where, where we can with natural mouse embryos go twice as much compared to synthetic embryos and and that there um, there are differences but i think for the sake of ethical discussions one wants to take an extreme scenario and say what if these gaps are completely narrowed down and 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 we can and what what is justifiable to work with and not and which stage should we stop on, on these one and you saw our progress is very gradual because 
every, you know, like the mouse protocol, the first mouse protocol took us eight years to develop every day. So you can imagine it's going to take some time. Um, and actually we want to use that time to really discuss, open up the discussions. I mean, that, these discussions have started years ago, but I think now have come to more, say, front of the stage uh, to really not only have discussion here, from, and we really as scientists want to hear back from the public. Often, you know, people think, uh, yeah, scientists you know, just want to do it and they will just want to convince us. Uh, but it's really not the case, at least not for me. Um, my job is very important for me is to make the public informed so that when the time comes, whatever decision they make, it is made on scientific facts, not on unsubstantiated worries or false propaganda or images. I'm a big sci-fi fan, but, you know, it's, you know, we're not talking about the matrix reality. And for example, you know, often people when hear about this, they think that we're trying to uh, embryo models outside the uterus. The first idea is the Matrix movie and that we try to replace pregnancy outside the body. Not only we're not trying to do that, it's never going to be possible. I mean, even in the mouse, as I told you, which is much smaller and gestation is only 20 days. After 10 years, we can barely reach day 12 and a half, as I mentioned. So a human embryo, which is nine months pregnancy, it's gigantic in its size. I don't think that that is possible. But, um, but that's why we want to, you know, answer these kind of concerns and if it becomes possible and the computer doesn't want to have it then it will ban it i mean in the end we do have to believe in law um you know, I always make the analogy you know just because you can make a uh, nuclear bomb it doesn't mean you ban nuclear physics because there's a lot of advantages in energy and space uh, you don't ban vir virus research because somebody and it's quite easy to make very dangerous viruses and spread them around it, it just, you know, science at a doesn't work. You can even talk it to AI. I mean, clearly it has benefits and we still want to start discussing what we don't want. So I do believe in the end in, in regulation. I think we're in modern societies um, that, you know, we are, we can't just be like, uh, I want to go to the ostrich, you know, just stick our head in the sand uh, and, and, and not, and not talk about this and talk and when we talk about ethics also want to talk then why are you doing this what is the benefit because when you talk about person i think when you talk about ethics in some kind of abstractive way which is also sometimes important what is life when to define life and, and this but then you have to insert the reality of why this is being done and i can give you an example um which is one of the things we 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 think maybe there are if you day day forty for example or day thirty five even there are some really precious cells that have been very hard to impossible to make so far. You have blood progenitors that can save lives by bone marrow transplants, and the scenario relevant scenario is if you have a, a patient who has leukemia, he's about to die because he cannot find a bone marrow match. Is it ethical slash does he have the right to give his consent to take a skin cell from his body, make these stem cells, we make them naive, make an embryo model until day 35, which and then take cells and transplant and save his life. So I, I very much always look at it as, in this case, is it's um, the pros and cons. Uh, the, 
the benefit is I'm sure it's ethical difficulty. And again, it increases as you go further, further with age of, because as you go further in development, I guess you kind of unlock potential cells you can use, but you know, and there's where, where, where does the line go? And you can think of a woman who has, was infertile and has no, eggs because she's either perhaps a more advanced age or she survived chemotherapy, overcame cancer, but there are no ovarian reserves. And she re it's very important for her that she has her own eggs so she can make babies with her partner in regular in vitro fertilization treatment. Does she have the right or is it ethical that she again gives a biopsy, we make stem cells, we make the embryo models, we know that if you go to day 60, you can take there the, the gonads or like the early ovary and grow it for one more month in a dish and you will have excellent eggs. So this, these are the scenarios. Uh, and we have to give this context. And going back to me explaining this to the public, I'm perfectly fine with... with um, with you know, in the end, if they, uh, if the social society says no, so we still don't want to do it. But I just want to make sure that they understand the re the the biological facts, the reasons, what can we do, what we can't do, what we shouldn't do, and make that 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 decision, and not just being kind of um, uh, um, make some uh, just general scares. I mean, also just a fact of comment. I mean, you know, if you think of the early days of. IVF treatments, which is like in vitro fertilization. So there were a lot of scares. First ethical scares are these going to be called uh, test tube babies? I mean, maybe <laughs> that was for the first five years, but eventually, no, it became a norm. Um, and also, um, people were scared somebody's going to steal my sperm that is frozen and make an army, and somebody's going to stain the frozen embryos. And there are millions of embryos frozen today. You know, really, for, you know, if I want to joke, well, it's much cheaper, much better to buy two F-16 probably to have and then have an army. And of course, nobody went there and, and these kind of signs. So, so we have to, at the end, really attach and hold on to kind of reality. And, 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 we, and we want the public to express this, their, what, they're, what they don't want, what they're scared. It's fine. They're not scientists. They don't understand. Uh, and it's our real job. And I thank you also, you know, for holding this because this is beginning to, to really start talk about this very, very openly and make sure that the public doesn't think our field is trying to do something in the dark or in the shadow and keep them, um, and, and, and we want to start this very early. I mean, the real clear with this is very early. There's no need to any sound an alarm or, or that one, but it's important to, to discuss it early and even talk about extreme scenarios, which, which we have, and then see how, how, what, what the norms or how, how societies feel about this. Yeah, and, and when you, we talk about these ethical considerations, then another issue that comes up is how do you verify that these embryo models are actually, as you say, good models? Yeah. You, you need to compare them to real embryos. Yes. So, How do you do that at different stages when, at least in most countries, embryo research is limited or to 14 true. days or banned? Luckily, or, as I mentioned, you know, we do, we all over the world, wherever it's allowed, there are samples actually something you know um, a woman might m miscarry spontaneously and when she goes to the doctor uh, actually you know the, the embryo it was four or five weeks old comes out in in a quite complete form and for example there's excellent center in the netherlands that's really invested a lot of money to have this apparatus of that spotting these rare occasions and then take these aborted embryos that were just naturally aborted by miscarriage. And then 
we section, make like pathology section, what does it look like, or these structures, what are the gene expression patterns. So for example, in, in our study, we used something called the Carnegie Collection, which is a collection which was made in the 60s. We didn't, and this one, and it ha, it's very, very informative, no, no matter, even though it's actually very basic, uh, we don't have like deep molecular knowledge, but in, in it, and it's like pathology slides, but it's very helpful. One of the subjects that have been discussed a lot here in Iceland is how do we approach it if these embryo models get so similar to an embryo that they have a potential for life? Yes. First of all, I think if you start about, as I mentioned, the topic is has been discussed because we've been discussing for years about embryo research. For example, how many days uh, can we grow surplus blastocysts that are basically kind of left over, as I mentioned, from couples who are already not going to use them. And really, honestly, most there are other, if otherwise they're going to be just incinerated. And, you know, in uh, with some consent, can we grow them for two or three weeks and learn about the biology of human development? So there's been a lot of discussions, a lot of regulation in place and so forth. Uh, so in the end, it's not that, like, this is a complete unheard of kind of scenarios. I think we just now have kind of a new layer on the block. Let's go, they have an, a new source of things. The question is, when does an embryo model should count as an embryo? Because then we have the regulations in place, every country, they might change. But then you, when you dig deep into it, we, you, you have a lot of variables that how, how do you uh, deal with it. For example, in the cases of the embryo models we talk about that mimic stages after the blastocyst, in these stages, even we're talking with natural embryos, they, if you put them inside the uterus, not only it's illegal, but actually it can never work because embryos cannot implant after the blastocyst stage. So there's, even if somebody wanted to break the law, it's a biological impossibility, whether it's with natural embryos or with an embryo model. I can give you some other complexity that's going to expect going to you know, come in, in, in the future. Since we start with stem cells in the dish, we can, today, genetic engineering is very, very easy. We can really delete a gene that a heart tissue and a brain tissue do not form. I, if I'm trying to make blood cells or eggs, I really don't need these cell types to be around. Uh, we don't need them, formation of blood or oocytes. And then, you know, for example, I talk to rabbis in Israel and, and, and priests of my community and, you know, what do they consider life? And I think they say, well, if it has no brain or and doesn't have brain tissue, um, it cannot, has no cognition, has no sense, to me that is just a couple of organs that are connected and maybe if that's self-life, that is justified. So what, I have two points to make here. First, that science itself, experiments itself, might give, again, alternatives to ethical difficulties, just when we were started from the beginning. That is one thing. And again, going different societies, then we have these discussions, you know, what, what's an embryo? And, 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 and again, I think, in, I have no answer, but I think in general, also it's a pros, plus versus benefit, costs versus benefit. And when, because for example, I don't think, you know, an embryo model, let's, and again, assuming that, as you said, now they're identical. And then day 28, it's, it's very, very early. I would say also day 30, 40 is very early. Maybe if you say day 80 or 120 for some reason, then you say from that stage, yes, I want you to delete these tissues never form. Or some will say, I know I want to stop there. Different 
So some, and maybe they say, well, if it's life-saving, okay. If it's just for research, no. We don't know. There's a lot of like details. Um, but I, the good thing is that this is is going to take years. And I want to say, you know, all these promises that, you know, we don't know if they will happen in terms of benefits where, where the efficiency is very low at the moment. So we need to make this for study. We must make efficiency higher, both in mouse and humans, a lot of ifs. And, and maybe, you know, in the end might be this, this concept might completely fail. I don't think so, but it's possible. And so that's why there's a lot of development. So this is just the, the, the really the, the beginnings, the, the feasibility kind of, uh, things and it's going to take a lot of years a slow progress which gives us a lot of time i call it um, my fingers you know always measuring the pulse like we're, so there's no panic we're as a field as society which is great because then you have really deep discussions about them and in the end some of them might not in the end be re- relevant because we couldn't reach these stages but uh, but it, uh, but it's always better to to start early and discuss and and explain to the public and and rather than feel very pressured we need to decide now because then I think it's I don't think a society wants to shut doors on things too early if it proves that to be actually there's a lot of benefit I think in, I think in the end it is um, you know we're talking about saving people's lives in many of these cases even whether directly by transplant or whether by indirectly by knowledge I mean we have to f- you know think about it we are in 2023. And we have no deep knowledge of the genes that are important for human organs while we know it exactly for Drosophila and in mouse. And, and you know, I almost want to make the argument even for intellectuality, you know, that's enough that we need. And I'm sure that's going to be have biomedical not implications uh, on these things. So we have to put our steps very carefully, both on the experimental level and on the ethical discussion level. And, and, and really, I know it's hard and typically we all like want to quickly reach a decision and feel comfortable. Uh, but the reality of this is, is not like that. And on that note, we'll uh, finish this podcast. Thank you very much to Dr. Jacob Hanna from the Department of Molecular Genetics at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. Thank you. Thank you for having me and the interest in, in this research. Um, and thank you to my colleague, Dr. Stine Indrelit from Biotechnologi Roda, the Norwegian Biotechnology Advisory Board. Good to be here. You have been listening to Biotechpodden. It's a podcast from the Norwegian Biotechnology Advisory Board. And this episode has been made in cooperation with the Nordic Committee on Bioethics and Norfosk. Uh, and to our Norwegian listeners, welcome back next month when you will have an episode all in Norwegian again.